Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. Today I'm wanting to speak on influence. Uh, we're in a series called Amen, and we're looking at what it means to know that we are influ- uh, influential. I don't want to just say we, I don't want to just say me, I want you to say this, Amen. Amen. That's not talking about harvest, it's talking about God's plan and His story. It doesn't matter where you fit, where you belong, uh, if you're part of this house, you're part of His family above all. So say that one more time, Amen. Amen. And the second thing is say, I'm influential. I'm say it again. Say it to someone near you. Because I want you to start believing this. This is what we're going to look, like, uh, look at. You know, my wife loves me greatly. And uh, she likes to share clips of harvest, not just me, with her family. Her family are in Alaska and in Seattle. And uh, she shared one or two of the clips with her nephew and nieces. The nephew, uh, Devin, is in construction. And I uh, don't mean to knock anyone in construction, but you're not always the best at understanding RT, supposedly. And so he doesn't really understand algorithms too well. Um, and so she sent him this clip on Facebook. He watched it. But obviously, with Facebook's algorithms and all they're doing, now my face and messages keep popping up on his feed. And so he said to Leanne a little while later, um, George is actually quite a big deal. He's quite famous, huh? <laughs> Well, at least his Facebook algorithm thinks so. But uh, he thinks that I'm this high-powered influencer. How many, let me ask a question. What's that, sweetie? I am. Thank you. Um, We we did plan that, and you said it at the right moment. Well done. So I'm curious, with all of us gathered here today, and I know that um, I know some of you and what you do and what you're about, how many of you would say that you are an influencer? Just raise your hand. Wonderful. Wow, this is, that's a lot more than I thought. That's great. You're actually making me realize that we are a community that God has ministered into, and hopefully this message then just serves as an affirmation and a reminder if you're already believing that. But we've been looking at four things. There are four themes that we're looking at in this series. Firstly, it's this. It's we looked at that we are invited into God's family. We get to invite those that others would reject because Christ accepts them. And it's the beauty of his heart to seek them out. And we get to live as an invitation that others get to know that they get to be part of God's family. Then we looked at I'm invaluable, just knowing that you've got a place. You are part of his body. You've got an expression. You've got a function. You've got a gifting. You've got a grace. And it all moves together to bring glory to God. And so you have value. Then today we're looking at I'm influential. There's there's influence that comes through me by his grace that brings him glory as I allow it to take place. And so we're looking at what it means to be influential. Next week, we're going to look at what it means to say, I'm actually invested. I'm not just doing this as a, as a secondary or peripheral thing. I'm investing my life into seeing the kingdom of God advance. And so I'm trusting that today, as we focus on I'm influential, that we'll start to realize that each of us, that you are an influencer, And we'll start to remove some shackles and to to start to gain a little bit more perspective on on why. And uh, we had Dylan Long, who was with us a few weeks ago, and he just brought this great encouragement that you are light and you are salt. 
I love when you look in the message, it says you're called to bring out the God flavors and you're called to bring out the God colors. There's a multifaceted hues and wonder to what that looks like. And so that's the encouragement that comes for us as we know that we're called to live out day in, day out God's love and be an expression. But I'm gonna say one statement and I'm gonna let you take a photo of it as I put it up or write it down. It's, I'm gonna repeat it, you're gonna hear it again, but I want you to get this and I want you to focus on this and I want this to be the takeaway because really it's, it's understanding God's influence in and through your life. So if we can put that up, here it is. Here's the statement. You have no idea how one conversation, one word of encouragement, one expression of love might change someone's life. You have no idea how just that one word, one moment, one expression can lead someone towards the grace, the kindness, and the goodness of Jesus. We get to step in and step out as we do that. So let me ask you this. Even as I, well, let me say this. Even as I said, who is an influencer, there were some hands that didn't go up. And maybe um, there's different reasons for that. Maybe we think, well, George, I haven't been on a Facebook algorithm behind a pulpit preaching, so I'm not really an influencer. Or maybe I don't have that many subscribers on Snapchat or TikTok or um, Twitter, or I, I don't know what the latest ones are, but any of those. And so I, am I really an influencer? Because what's happened is culture has just started to hijack and define what influencer means. Actually, if you do a Google search, what is an influencer, and I know it changes quick on, um, uh, in, in terms of the searches, but I did this last night. This is the one I got on Google, and it was pretty similar on ChatGPT if you're using that uh, AI as your new search engine. But this is what Google said. An influencer is an individual who has the power to affect purchase decisions of others because of their authority, knowledge, or relationship with the audience. Really? Is that what an influencer is? Someone who's on social media and some people follow him or her, so now they've got influence authority over you and they get to influence your purchase decisions. I mean, that's far removed from when I was growing up, Luke. I hope you're paying attention, my son, as you're sitting there. When I was growing up, an influencer, as you're in your matric year, was a good teacher. An influencer was a good coach that invested into you. A good parent was an influencer. Good peers, good friends were influencers. Some bad friends were influencers as well, but that's not what we're talking about. Sunday school teachers were influencers. I, I had the privilege of having Duleen Arnold, who just this year has moved back to Mams and Toti, but she was a member of Harvest for probably about 10 years. But she was my Sunday school teacher as I was growing up, and then she became um, just someone who served and was involved in every part of the life of Harvest Church. And I sat here and got to be an influence back into her life, possibly, um, as she had been such a great influence of mine. And she actually came through just last week. I wasn't here just because she's missing the community and so loves who we are. And let me tell you, when someone like that comes in, they carry influence. But today, unfortunately, the term has been hijacked. And influencer speaks of someone who is a celebrity or someone who is a content creator, or someone who has amassed a great number of followers, but they are they're popular, but is there purpose in what they're doing? I don't know. I'm sure with some, I'm not knocking it. I believe we're called to be influencers on social media as well. We are called to create content. We are called to influence many, 
But what is the real heart behind it? What is that which defines a kingdom influence or influencer? So we, we need to reclaim that word because we have no idea how God can just use one word of encouragement, one moment of kindness, one expression of his love to change someone's life. And as we, we look at this in Matthew 5, and I've mentioned it already, there are two metaphors. The one is he said, you're called to be salt, and the other is you're called to be light. Now, if my daughter was here, who is around some of those uh, influences in Orange County, California, she would say this, and so I'm going to say it to you. I'm going to say it in a church setting, not the culturally cool setting. But turn to the person next to you and say, you're kind of salty. Now, I don't really know what that means in today's slang. But yeah, it means a good thing. <laughs> now, turn to the other neighbor that you rejected the first time and encourage them and say, you're kind of shiny. We're called to be salt. You are the light of the world. You're a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. You weren't, you weren't placed here to be hidden. Instead, they put it on its stand. You've been given elevation, even if it's just in relationships, so that you can give light to everyone. If it's not in the city, which it's mentioned already, at least in the house, at least in the place where you're living life out. Because here's the thing. Light is created to displace darkness, not to be hidden from darkness. We come and as we carry it and as we are illuminated and as we're burning brightly, we get to displace darkness and bring a visibility to the God colors of what he's doing and the multifaceted hues and the manifold brilliance of what that looks like, the radiance of his glory. In the same way, you let your light shine before others. Let your light shine that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we're shifting our influence to look at what this means, salt and light, and how this plays out. And as I've said, we're called to be effective on, on uh, the social media platforms, but what does this look like lived out from the place of our lives? Because the problem with the current view of influence, and hear me on this, the current view of influence's problem is that it's all about platform, platform, platform. And that's going to create a striving in our heart to try and find it, because we all think the size of the platform determines the scope of our influence. So if I've got a little platform, I've got little influence, and we'll be minimized in our thinking. Our light will be confined, and it will be held to lesser dimensions. But here's what Scripture shows us, and this is what we will see revealed in just a moment, that true and lasting influence always starts with people before platforms. True and lasting influence always starts with people before platforms. It's less about purchasing power and more about divine purpose. There's a different shift there. There's a different way it works. There's a different way it moves. There's a different way it's expressed. And you are, I'm not going to say we, I want to personalize it. I want to speak to each and every person here. You are called to be an influencer. Let me take it a little bit deeper. You are an influencer. Just how are you using your influence? And what influence is at work through your life? Uh, in, the, in the first service, Patrick asked a question that I, I want to ask again, and he was speaking about the Alpha Course, and we're excited to be doing this. We know in the early days of Harvest, so many lives were touched and changed, and we've seen that around the globe. How many people here have done Alpha? Wow, that's amazing. So the Alpha Course has had an influence on your life, I'm sure. How many people here were saved through Alpha? 
Anyone? We had some people in the first service who had given their life through Alpha. But if you've done Alpha, it's influenced your life in some way. Or maybe you could take that deeper. It's not just Alpha, it's the church, Holy Trinity Brompton. Maybe you would think, well, that influence didn't only just come through Alpha and Holy Trinity Brompton, but a man named Nicky Gumbel, who actually is the one who leads that. But then maybe you would realize that the influence didn't start with Nicky Gumbel, but probably from Reverend Irvine, who handed it over to him as a young man who was in Holy Trinity Brompton Church. But maybe a step back to see the influence before that is to realize that a man named Charles Marnham created and curated that course in 1977. And his influence influenced and influenced and influenced. But let's just jump back to Nicky Gumbel. Nicky Gumbel describes himself and he says, I once was an argumentative atheist. And in that place, he found... Um, he found Christians very suspicious and he tended to avoid them. Here's the problem. At the University of Cambridge in 1974, Nikki's two greatest friends decided to give their lives to the Lord. We don't know what their names are, but their life had an influence on him because he thought, no, this is crazy. I'm gonna disprove this thing. I'm starting to be a barista. No, that's a coffee maker, a barrister. And... Um, <laughs> They can be argumentative as well. But, but, and so he, he went and he thought, let me find a book on religion so I can just start to diffuse this with these two guys who are trying to influence me. And so he picked up the only religious book he had in his house that night, and that was the Bible. And so he said, that night I could only find a Bible. And as I read about Jesus, it was as if the person I was reading about in the New Testament emerged from the pages. And I had an encounter with him. How beautiful is that? Maybe more of the influence could be seen on his life when another pastor had come through Holy Trinity Brompton and this pastor was preaching and said, now we've heard about the Holy Spirit, but now let's meet the Holy Spirit. And he prayed for the Holy Spirit to come. And what happened was Nicky Gumbel, feeling shy, felt the presence of God upon him in such a way he went to the back of the hall to hide because he, he was just sensing the, the weighty presence, the glorious presence of the Lord upon him and ministering to him. And he was just being, uh, he, he knew he didn't want to be a spectacle, but something was happening as he encountered not only Jesus, who he had encountered, but the Holy Spirit in a spe specific way. And people thought, well, maybe this young barristers being a bit of a distraction in the back of Holy Trinity Brompton, but this preacher that was there said, the Holy Spirit's on that man, and he's going to be used to influence many in worldwide evangelism. And so you start to look and thought, maybe that's the influence. Today, it's 66, well, maybe, sorry, this was in 2021 that I got this statement, I'm going to say. So he's probably about 67, 68, 68. Today, the 68-year-old has been described, Nicky Grumble, has been described as arguably the most influential Christian in Britain. Alpha was launched in 1993, and at 20, in the year 2021, over 28 million people have attended the course worldwide. This is what Nicky Gumbel says as an encouragement for us. He says even, and he's defining himself as an introvert who was shy, even the shyest person can influence 10,000 people in their life. He wasn't saying through the Alpha course, or maybe it's inviting someone to the Alpha course, but he's saying as you start to step out and engage with the person, the people in front of you, there's a compound multiplication that starts to take place as influence starts to spread. And you are called to be an influencer. How are you influencing? 
And so this is uh, the encouragement we know as we look at that. And Nikki Gumbel, I'm sure, had a, a profound impact on many, on city and nations. But we're not called to let it just rest on one. We're all called to be salt and light. So the encouragement is, what are you sharing? Which person is in front of you? What are you getting to release in and through your life? And here is the, the challenge for us. Influence isn't always instant. We'd love to see, oh, there's, there's fruit here, it's instant. Influence isn't always obvious. It's not something that's always perceived or tangible. But just because you don't see a harvest doesn't mean the seed sown has not taken root. And just because it's only taken root doesn't mean it isn't going to spring up and sprout and flourish and be fruitful. We get to sow the seeds and to allow the presence of the Spirit to rain down and bring growth. And really, the key scripture I want to bring, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to uh, John chapter 4. I'm going to read segments, but it'll be better if you could follow and read through on your own. If you've got a device and can choose the translation, it's going to be the New Living Translation. But John chapter 4, and it's a story about a woman that no one ever thought would have influence, at least not in her setting and in her context. But let me give you that context. What's happening in this moment is Jesus is on his way somewhere, and instead of going around this place called Samaria, which the Jews resented, refused to go in, and always wanted to avoid, Jesus said, I'm not going to avoid the place that everyone else is trying to avoid. I'm going to go to the place where other people are not wanting to go. This is what he did all day long, every day, every moment. He was just upturning tables and reestablishing lives. This is uh, the mandate he lived with. And so he goes through Samaria. And the disciples are going with them. And as I say, it was not something that was acceptable. Jews didn't interact with Samaritans because Samaritans were half Gentile, half Jew. Their, their belief systems were different, a bit different. And the Jews thought they were lesser than themselves. And here's the thing. Jesus is entering this setting, but he's not only in Samaria. He's not, uh, uh, Samaria is not only engaging with Samaritans, but a Samaritan woman. And Jewish rabbis just didn't do that. And so Jesus shocks everyone, as we know, and he sits down at a well at midday. Now, let me say, a well is significant because in that day, cities would be built around wells. They would be built around rivers. And if a well dried up, that city would need to migrate because it was needed. But another thing about the well is the well was the meeting place. Because here's the thing, it doesn't matter if you were a Jew or Samaritan, doesn't matter if you were rich or you were poor. Doesn't matter if you were king or a peasant. Doesn't matter if you were a shepherd or a sheep. Everyone has a need for water. Everyone needed the well. And so Jesus says, I'm going to go to the place, not just Jerusalem where he was heading or the temple where others would have waited. He said, I'm going to go to the place where there's unity. It's the well. Doesn't matter if you divide it and fragment it all around society. He goes to the place where the people would come to. He goes to the place where people were in need. And it's at midday. Now, this is uh, significant as well because you see there's no one around the well, this meeting place. See, the well would be a social interaction. As I said, it was a unifying place for society. But at this moment, it's only Jesus. And then a Samaritan woman comes that way. You see, part of the reason is because all the respectable uh, women and men would have been there in the morning or the afternoon where the sun wasn't so hot. But at 12 o'clock, this lady's heading there because she's not an accepted, affirmed, celebrated member of that society. And so she's heading out to this place because she's got a need for water. 
And the beauty is this, is Jesus is sitting at a well waiting for humanity to recognize its thirst and need to go to the well. And this is where Jesus is sitting. And so she comes, and as she walks up, I love this about Jesus. He dignifies her with a question. You see, a normal uh, Jew, definitely a rabbi, would have nothing to do with recognizing that she was even a person worth paying attention to. But Jesus dignifies her by starting a conversation. And I mean, it throws her. But here's the thing. Do you know that some questions can instill dignity? Some questions can rob your identity. It all comes from the posture and the positioning of your heart. And so he asks a question that instills dignity. Verse 9, the woman was surprised. I mean, she's shocked. She's overwhelmed. Beside herself, she never expected this. This was unheard of in her day. And it says that she said to Jesus, you're a Jew, as if he hadn't recognized this. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Are you asking me for a drink? I mean, this is crazy. And Jesus replied, and you can sense the love and the care, the honor in his response. He said, if you only knew the gift, something to give, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. You see, there are two wells here. There's a well and a well. There's Jacob's well in the physical. And Jesus, who is the well of Jacob in the spiritual. And she's come because she's got a need in her humanity that she needs and she's thirsty, but she didn't realize that she's got a twofold thirst. And so she comes to this well and Jesus starts to speak to her and, and she's saying, he says, can, can you help me get a drink? And she says, well, how can I do that? And he shifts it to realize that he can provide her with water. And she says, but you don't have anything to draw water from. This well is deep, but he's prompting her in this moment to be able to draw from living water. And here's the power, what you draw living water with is the ask. And so he starts to share about this. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I'll give you living water. She is speaking to the spiritual well of Jacob. Sir, but you don't have a rope or a bucket and the well is deep. How can I get water? Here's where we shift from just the well to what the water is. Jesus says this, anyone who drinks this water, this natural water, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. There's two wells and there's two waters. The water in the physical Jacob's well will pacify your need in the moment. But you're going to have to do the same thing at the same place in the same way the next day in the midst of that cycle. And aren't you tired of being in that cycle? Aren't you tired of putting a Band-Aid on that never brings healing? Because the water in the natural will pacify you for a moment. But Jesus is saying, if you drink of me, you'll drink living waters. That'll bubble up. You don't need to come back because it goes with you and you overflow. And you won't just pacify. You will satisfy yourself eternally. And so there's something happening in this approach. There are two wells and there's two water sources and there's the word because Jesus is the well, Jesus is the water of life and Jesus is the word. And the word brings her two revelations. The one is this, we need to understand that the word of God doesn't only reveal God, but God's word reveals you. The word of God doesn't only help you see him, God's word helps you see yourself. 
And in the midst of him engaging with her, the word of God, she has been confronted and the word of God is allowing her to see herself and in any of the pride and the the sense of I've been scorned and, and trying to keep away and have a critical attitude to those around who've rejected you, something softens as she sees herself in the light and the flavor of the love of Jesus expressed of God's heart to her through grace and something shifts her from a place of pride to a place of humility and she says, I want living water. I don't want to have to come here day after day after day in the cycle I've been in to pacify the situation. I want to be satisfied with eternal life. And she says, I want some of this water. Verse 16, go and get your husband. You see, she sees past the indignation of what the moment should hold. And she responds to the invitation of what's possible. And so it says in verse 16, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied saying it a little bit angrier. It's a lot kinder. Let me dull it down a bit. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Can I say something? Jesus never asks you a question for information. You're never going to give him any new information. When Jesus asks you a question, it's for your transformation. Go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You've certainly spoken the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. And you see here, she doesn't see him as someone who's condemning. She sees him as a prophet, someone who's speaking God's heart in the midst of the moment. And Jesus has said this, you've been divorced five times and you're living with the sixth person in this day and age. That would cause people to raise their eyebrows. In that day and age, you would be shunned. And here's the thing with Jesus in the midst of this moment. Here's this woman who the people have whispered about. Here's this woman that they've said, stay away from her. And especially husbands, you don't get to visit the well at 12 o'clock in the middle of the Middle, Middle Eastern heat. You see, but here's the thing with Jesus. As he's engaging with her, talking to her, looking at her, he doesn't look at her as an immoral woman but instead as a miracle about to happen. See, Jesus never engages in your present on the basis of your past, but he engages you in the present so that you could step into the beautiful opportunity of your future in him. And this is how he's seeing her, and it dawns on her. Something's different in this moment. Wait a minute. This isn't the usual cycle of how this goes on a Monday morning at 12 noon. Something's different here. I've heard about this Messiah that would be coming. And what I've heard about him is that that he does miraculous things. I've heard that the dead have been raised and blind eyes, lepers cleansed. And I felt like I'm those things. But in him speaking to me, I'm feeling life. I'm feeling the scales starting to fall off of me. I'm feeling the cycle starting to break. I'm feeling there's a shift because this Jewish man is speaking to me in a way that I feel honored and respected. And he knows everything about my life. And yet still he's pursuing me in this. And perhaps this is the one I've been waiting for. Perhaps this is the one we've been praying for. Perhaps this is... God's best chosen and prophesied Messiah. And here's the thing, 
She went to a well to get water, but she receives a word that gives her access to all of that. And she leaves her jar of water in the physical because she's running overflowing with living water that's gonna flood out on a community because she's called to be an influencer even though she doesn't have platform and she doesn't have followers and she doesn't have those gathered around saying you're gonna influence what I purchase but she's discovered purpose and there's people that she's running to with the good news. Verse 28, the woman left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. I mean, she was cowering and now she's courageous. She was empty, but now she is effervescent. I mean, something has shifted. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And what happens? The people come streaming from the village to see him. She's an influencer. So what do we see in this powerful story? The first thing I want you to see and to recognize for yourself, this is where it starts. It's no matter, no matter how bad your life is, no matter how much you've messed things up, there is no one that is too far gone that Jesus won't come and meet you at your place of need and touch you and raise you and set you on a new trajectory. There's no one that is so far gone. Not any of us, not you, not anyone you're gonna encounter. You get to carry hope. He is the God of all hope. There's no hopeless situation. If it's hopeless, it's just because you haven't invited him in and let him shine through and be the salt in the midst of that moment. The second thing is this. We see the town outcast. As I've said, who was cowardly, now being courageous, who was empty, now effervescent, telling people, this may be the one. This is the woman who was broken. This is the lady who had messed up numerous times. This is the woman who everyone was whispering about, and yet she's got something to shout about because something has shifted in her life. This is the one that they've all called an immoral woman, but immediately she's become an influencer because of one moment of Jesus touching her life and changing everything. You're one moment away from him touching your life and changing everything. You don't have to have your life all together to influence someone for Jesus. You don't have to know it all. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't have to be able to quote scripture and mention the exact reference and context and place that it happens. You just have to have had an encounter with the living word, the living water, the living well. You've had to encounter Jesus and then you get to go and be before people and start to let his light, his love, his grace, his salty flavor start to touch their lives. And when you look at salt, it preserves, it protects. It's got a, a, a quality about it that brings in, uh, accentuates things in him. I got to go to Australia at the end of last year and uh, got to do a wedding for a a young man and young lady, my niece Rachel, and my, what do you call it, a nephew-in-law, now Luke de Flich, and uh, they both were at Seedlings, grew up in Harvest, and then they're in Australia now, and they got married, and Luke uh, was a brilliant sportsman, but he played cricket and hockey, and then he went to Australia, and he thought, let me play, everyone speaks about footy, uh, rugby league, and his friends influenced him to get into that, and uh, I think in his first season, he became the quickest player in his league, and um, been asked to train with the pro team and um, really going up the ranks. But he, he's currently with the Burley Bears on the Gold Coast. And um, 
yeah, he, he just uh, shared a testimony with me when I was there, and um, I just thought it was so impactful just to see his influence. Quietly spoken, but a person you want to listen to when he speaks. And just moving with great favor. And this is when they were just engaged and uh, a single, athletic, good-looking young man at the, the Burley Bears. And every Friday morning after training, they'd give a player 90 seconds to speak about where he came from, his life, and maybe some uh, questions that, the, that other teammates can ask to get to know it. 90 seconds. So anyway, it becomes his turn. And they're going to ask a few questions. And he describes it like this, the boys. Because the boys at the footy club and rugby league were a bit of a community. He's the only believer there. And they knew this, and they knew he worked at a Christian school. So he said the boys wanted to hear what I had to say, and then they wanted to pose some niggly questions about what living as a Christian means. I'll let you work out the full ramifications of what that could consist of. And so they kind of uh, give him the 90 seconds, and they're going to ask him these questions. Um, and so he shares, and just who he is, what he believes, and, and then the guys uh, pose a question to him, if three of us, because they think it's quite humorous, if you, three of us, which three would you say that need God the most? And he could have just opened it up and lightened it and kind of endeared a few guys and got a few laughs and pointed at any of them and said, you three. But instead he realized this was a different moment. It was a moment to influence, salt and light, not on a platform, but just with some players on your team. And so he said, well, truthfully is this, if I've got to say who needs him the most, I need him the most, but as much of any of us. And the beauty is this, that he stood up on my behalf and he went to the cross and he died and he now lives and I get to enjoy the fullness of his forgiveness that's for all of us and the life and the relationship I have with him. And his 90 seconds became 10 minutes of sharing and it became personal conversations that flowed people getting advice and seeking wisdom after that because he had chosen in the moment, I can jest, I can joke, I can make it lighthearted and disarm a moment or I can recognize that I'm called to be an influencer. You don't need thousands of followers to have a platform. You just need to care about one person in front of you. Who are the people that are in front of you? Because each of you including myself, is living life out amongst the community. And we get to let our light shine as a city on a hill, but also within the household of where we're living our life out. Who are you influencing at this time? Because let's say that again, you have no idea how one conversation, one word of encouragement, or one expression of love might change someone's life. Verse 34. The disciples come back and they, they realize that Jesus is with this woman and they see something happening. They want nothing to do with it. They choose to ignore it and come from a different angle. And they say to Jesus, are you hungry? And Jesus responds, uh, my food is to do the Father's will. Verse 35. And then he says, the field is ripe right for harvest, but the laborers are few. And we could say it this morning like this. The fields are ripe for harvest, but the influences are few. Now, you see, they're coming back from the city, having eaten and saying to him, are you hungry? But this woman who's just been to the well, drank the living water, received the word, and run with influence into the city, has gone and called all these people. And it says the many are coming. And they come back to Jesus, and they're facing him at the well and saying, are you hungry? And Jesus is looking out, and he's seeing the masses coming. 
through the influence of one lady. He says, the fields are ripe for harvest. Can you not see? This is that season. And I want to encourage you, don't let culture rob you of your calling because it tries to categorize what influences are and saying that you're not one. It doesn't start with a platform. It starts with the person, the person in front of you. Verse 39, it says, the many Samaritans started to believe. And Jesus, and she says as she goes, Jesus told me everything I did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him, the rest of this village, to stay with them. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Who did God use? Was it an Instagram influencer, a professional athlete, a celebrity or content creator? He uses all of those people as well. But in this story and this encouragement for us today, it was a regular, ordinary, everyday, broken, sinful woman who had been transformed by Jesus. And she was the first evangelist to see a whole city turned around for the king. The first one. You have influence exactly where you're placed right now. You have no idea what that looks like. So when you greet people at the door, and maybe they come in and they felt a little bit nervous, they're feeling a little bit insecure because they've had strangers tell them that they're salty and look a little bit shiny. But when you continue to love them and let them know that there's a sense of belonging that we get to be a part of as a family, the family of God, the community of God, as we live life together, you are an influencer as you do that. If you are someone who's able to see someone at work who's hurting and to be an expression of Jesus' love to them, not the world's condemnation, but to love them because that is what they are, they are loved. If you're able to do that at school or at work or whatever setting it might be, you are an influencer. If you are able to, to share hopeful scripture, maybe it's on a WhatsApp group, maybe it's on Facebook, maybe, and maybe you're not going to have a viral sensation running around, but it's going to be something that comes across someone's screen or phone or whatever it might be that brings hope, that engages them with the heart of God. If you are able to do that, you have got no idea who and how many you are influencing. You are an influencer. And it happens just by the way that you live. It happens just because of how you carry yourself as a son or daughter of the living God. It happens because of who you are and whose you are that people are able to encounter his love. Don't let culture start to limit you and bring a definition that robs you of God's calling. You are called to be salt and light. You are called to be an influencer. And we get to be a city on a hill that shines his light, illuminates and displaces darkness. Let me pray. Father, I just want to thank you for this community. I want to thank you for your words that you've spoken over us, where you said that we will be an influence, that we won't only build a healthy church, but that we will influence and bless the city. I want to thank you that you've called us, and that means all of us to be a city on a hill, Lord, that you called us to be a light. I thank you, Lord, that we get to shake off and shift off every limitation and restriction on who you've called us to be. Culture doesn't get to determine that because you've already purposed it. Lord, I thank you that as a community, we've been known for being a family hearted. Lord, I pray that you give us eyes to see the ones that we can influence and love well. And I thank you, Lord, that word that came years ago, that there would, that picture of a wellspring in our community, we'd be a place that people would gather. Even if there was division around, they'd find unity here. And Jesus, that they would find you, the well, full of living water, 
waiting for humanity to come with its thirst so they can be filled with eternal satisfaction in you. I thank you that there was the word of healing, physically, spiritually, emotionally, uh, relationally, in every area that takes place, even as we've heard testimonies today. And I thank you as I say that over us as a house. It is not about four walls. It is not about a coffee shop. It is not about a parking lot. It is about every single individual and person here who gets to live in the fullness of what it means to be church, the called out people of God that gather together and then spread out again to run with his influence. I pray for a fresh anointing on that and upon us in Jesus' mighty name. And together we say, amen.